Hello and welcome to Spiraling Upwards, where we are in pursuit of real holiness of life as a daily response to grace in the companionship of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of God the Father. I am Father Robert Healy, and I am delighted to welcome you to Episode 8. Today we will be talking about perfection, the pursuit of perfection in the spiritual life. Now that might seem like an odd sort of way to enter into this. Well, weren't we weren't we just talking about how to get started? <laughs> aren't we aren't we at the beginning? Well, of course we are, but you only get somewhere you're intending to go. And if I want to go, you know, to the next town over, there are a lot of places in between me and the next town over that I've got to go to first. In fact, I might need to put gasoline in my car. I might need to make sure that I've got window window washer fluid because it's it's uh, my windshield is dirty. I need to, need to make sure my car is up and running and ready to go. And so, you know, maybe the last thing I get around to is driving to the next town over. But there's all this preparation, there's all this time, all this energy, and all the various different things I've got to do that lead up to that. That sets the tone, though. The desire that I have. If, I'm, if I want to drive to Florida, um, I've, I've got a plan more. I've got to do more in preparation for such a trip than if I just want to go to the next town over. Unless I happen to live right next to Florida, which I don't. But I hope you see the point. So everything we've been talking about over these last few weeks, we've been, been talking about prayer, we've been talking about uh, preparation for prayer. Last week we introduced virtue and the idea of a heart and a life that is completely conformed to God. And the reason this is very intensely connected to our prayer is because we need, I mentioned that, I said this kind of in passing last week, we need virtue in order to pray, but this isn't just because we need to, uh, you know, be able to have a clear head when we're praying. I kind of, I maybe, maybe I made it seem that way last week. I didn't really intend to, but it was kind of abbreviating that, abbreviating that because we didn't want to spend all the time talking about uh, everything in one episode. But what I like to do is come back to this and say, why is it that we need virtue to become? prayerful, and we need prayer to become perfect in virtue. Well, we have to have an idea of the end goal. We have to have an idea of what it means to be perfected in virtue. And I think this is a wonderful day to talk about this, as we are here on January 17th. This is the Feast of St. Anthony of the Desert. St. Anthony of the Desert was one of the early, early desert fathers in Egypt. He is kind of known as the father of of Eastern monasticism, father of monasticism in general. And he walked into a church one day when he was a young man, very rich, very um, um, very well off. And his parents had died, leaving him and his sister with an enormous uh, inheritance. And they were very well to do. But he went into the church one day, and as he walked into the church, he heard the words of the gospel in which our Lord is telling the rich young man, you know, our Lord says, the rich young man says to him, what must I do in order to be saved? And our Lord says, follow the commandments. And he says, I do that. You know, I've been doing that since I was young. What more must I do? And our Lord looks at him and loves him and says to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. 
And we're told at that point that the rich man went away sad. This rich young man is everything in the world. And it's because he has so many possessions and he's so attached to them that he goes away sad rather than following Christ. And we don't know the end of the story, of course. We don't know whether he has a change of heart and comes. It's very possible. Some people have suggested that that rich young man was St. Mark, uh, the evangelist, or that he was someone else that, that maybe we know his name now, but we don't know that that's him. But the main, the main thing I'm wanting to draw out here is, is that uh, not only is this a great gospel story, but St. Anthony of the Desert before he was St. Anthony in the desert, Anthony walked into the church and heard this gospel, and it struck him to the heart. He realized this was what he was needing to hear. And so he went and he sold all his possessions, and he, he, he left his sister with some very holy women and provided for her needs, sold everything else, gave all the money to the poor, and went off into the desert to pray. And it's not that all of that uh, it's not like these are just two disconnected things, you know, the selling of everything that he has and the going to pray in the desert. It's not like he really just went overboard. You know, why didn't you just, why don't you just, you know, leave your home and go on a little retreat out into the desert every now and then so you can pray. It's because St. Anthony actually realized there is a connection between the business and the distraction and the things of this world and the difficulty I have in praying. That is, if I want to pray, I need to have my heart detached from all the things of this world and all of the uh, seeming goods and all of the seeming pleasures and all of the all of the things which promise to make me happy so that I can come to prayer and discover my true happiness. Now, St. Anthony of the Desert is often pictured uh, in the middle of prayer, um, reading a book, you know, maybe, and his face is, in, in these icons of St. Anthony, his face is so serene, and he's holding the Gospels, and he's reading, and he's covered with all these little black shapes, all these little black demons that are yanking at his hair, and poking him with things, and and screaming in his ears, and ter- pulling at his clothing, and all this sort of thing, and he's paying no attention to them. In fact, St. Anthony of the Desert was such an incredibly holy man. His prayer was so intense, and his, he was so good at turning away from the snares and the wiles and the temptations and the distractions of the devil that the devils totally feared him. <laughs> it's said that everyone who called out the name of Anthony uh, in Egypt, anyone who was, who was uh, suffering from demonic attacks, who would just say, Oh, I need the help of Anthony. The demons would flee in terror because they were so afraid of his name. Why? Because when they saw him, they saw Christ. When they thought of him, they thought of Christ. When they observed him, they observed the action of Christ in his life. He was so deeply conformed, so deeply united to Christ. And so uh, he lived in himself that story from the gospel of the rich young man. Now, what one of the things that spiritual masters tell us is that there are three phases, or not so much three phases, as three movements in the spiritual life. The first is that one of trying to get rid of sin, wanting to be done with sin. I don't want, I don't want to sin anymore. Why? Because my sin keeps me away from the Lord. Because my sin uh, makes me detestable, even in my own eyes, and it makes me 
It, it holds me back from coming close to God and being able to feel and know his love for me. And so the first movement is, is what we refer to as the purgative way, just purging myself of my sin. And this is kind of the role, the place of the beginner. When you're just beginning to pray, just starting into prayer, I realize that my sin is constantly keeping me from prayer. Not just because it's distracting me in prayer, you see, but because it's drawing me away from Christ. I'm trying to pray, and I'm being drawn uh, by these, you know, the devil's got his fishing hook in minis, and he's trying to reel me back to himself. And I need to snip off the barb and get that hook out of me. I need to, I need to detach myself from anything which is a snare that's wishing to, to take me away from the Lord. So the first movement in, in the spiritual life is referred to as the purgative way. Uh, this is the, the place of the beginner, and this is all about getting rid of my sin. Now, it's not like we finish that and we move on to the next. That, that is going to continue, but there's a point at which I'm having enough success because of my prayer, because of my, the intentionality with which I'm growing in virtue and striving toward the Lord, that I'm making some good progress. You know, and the Lord is, in His grace, is moving me through that. I'm getting away from that. I'm not so distracted. I'm not so deeply tempted anymore. Um, and I'm going to enter into what is referred to as the illuminative way. Illuminative, because it's a shedding, shedding light. Lumen in, in Latin is light. We talk about lumens of, in a, a light bulb, right? So the illuminative way, uh, or illumination... Right? It's about getting to know Christ, coming to know him, to be able to see him for who he is. I can't do that while my sins are bombarding me. If, if all of my prayer is about, Lord, keep me away from this sin, keep me away from this temptation, separate me from this evil, forgive me for all the sins of my past, if I'm deeply ensconced in sin, then I'm, I'm not even hardly able to give attention and, uh, to getting to know Christ as he truly is. I'm simply coming to him saying, please patch me up, please, you know, get the bullet out of my arm, whatever it may be. So the illuminative way is something the spiritual masters talk about is, is for the proficient. For those who have been engaging in prayer uh, for some time and have been growing in the spiritual life and, and saying no to sin and yes to God and moving through the purgative way, you see, then we get to the illuminative way, that is the getting to know Christ. And, and the more we get to know him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we want to get to know him. And now this becomes something where I'm not only wanting to separate myself from sin, I'm wanting to separate myself even from the imperfections that are cutting me off from Christ in, in little ways. You know, I don't just want to not fall into mortal sin, not fall into venial, willful venial sin. I don't even want to be attracted to it. I don't even want to have any taste for it. You know, if someone had come up to me out of the blue, and hand me a, you know, a um, handgun and say, how about this? Uh, here's a mask. Here's a gun. I'm going to put on my mask and my gun. We're going to go in here and rob this place, right? I would say, um, no, not right. I don't, I don't have any attraction to that. That's not even a, that doesn't even appeal to me. In fact, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to aim the gun at you and say, put your hands up, and I'm going to call the police. <laughs> because I'm absolutely not attracted to the idea. It's, there's, no, there's no part of it that... Maybe there's a temptation coming from outside, 
you see? But the interior is completely close to this. There's no readiness. This is the same way as when our Lord was tempted in the wilderness. Yes, he was tempted. The devil's uh, saying, hey, turn that bread, that stone into bread. You know, throw yourself down from the parapet of the temple. You know, worship me and I'll give you all of this. And this is a temptation that's coming from outside. But there's nothing inside our Lord that corresponds with it. There's no aspect of him interiorly that desires anything that he's being tempted with from outside. And so he's very easily able to say, be gone, Satan, for you are an opposer, is what Satan means. You are opposing me. I don't want any of this. Be gone. And the devil flees at the word of Christ as, uh, as Christ responds every single time to these temptations with Scripture. And not just with Scripture, like he's you know, holding it up as a torch, like, get away, get away, leave me alone. But with this absolute resolve and complete calm that says, I'm not interested in what you offer me. What you offer me is evil. So drink your own poison, as, as, the, uh, as the medal of St. Benedict says. So, getting to know Christ is going to, the more I get to know him, the more I clo- come closer to him, into his light, the more uh, it's going to separate me from sin. And, and then comes the third stage of the, of the spiritual life, which they speak of as the unitive stage. This is for those who are seeking perfection, um, and this is in union with Christ. You see, it's not just, not just to get rid of the sin that's keeping away from him, or to come into his light and to bask in his light. I want to be, I want to be so close to him that we are deeply united. Like, like two really good friends who know that every single thing they want is in accord with everything their friend wants. And they wouldn't have any problem asking their friend to help them with anything because they know their friend is absolutely determined to do it, to help. You know, um, this, is, this is kind of in, in our relationships with other people, an experience that's, that's like to the union of Christ. It can draw us um, to a deeper understanding of what it means to have union with Christ. But even when I have union with another person, there is a, there's a separation in the sense that I can't, uh, you know, I can't get into that person, have that person get into me, you know. We're still outside of each other. Even the love of spouses uh, is is a shadow, is a a reflection. The love of the bridegroom for his bride, the love of the bride for her bridegroom is a an icon of the love that is supposed to exist between Christ and the soul, where the soul is absolutely at peace in the arms of Christ, and Christ is absolutely in peace. You know, that, that when our Lord says, you in I, uh, you in me, and I in you, that, that with, apart from me you can do nothing, that we discover that our whole identity, our whole being is deeply wrapped up in him. And this profound union that we're seeking, this is where we are looking for perfection. That's the goal. That's the end goal. That's the town next, you know, the next town over, or that's Florida where I'm trying to get to. And I realize I'm not there yet. 
I've got a lot of different things I've got to do in order to get myself there. But I know where I'm headed. I know where I want to be. And so even as I'm working through the purgative way and the illuminative way, as I'm seeking to, to detach myself from sin and, and draw myself toward the Lord's light, to living in his light, it's, it's in pursuit of this union with Christ that I'm already getting to experience tastes of in prayer. Saint, uh, Pope St. John Paul II, I once watched a video of him. You can see it on YouTube, I'm sure. That's where I saw it. And it's just a video of his visit, uh, I forget what year, to Philadelphia. And so here is, you know, the, the papal uh, convoy arrives at, at, this, uh, at the cathedral in Philadelphia, and he comes in, and of course, there are the crowds are, are crying and singing and rejoicing. They're so happy, and uh, all the hands that are reaching out, it's a huge commotion of singing and praise, and the choir's going full tilt, and the organ's going full tilt, and, and there's just this huge noise in the church of joy as people are, are so delighted to see their Holy Father. And so, Saint, yes, you're watching this video. Here comes the Pope down the aisle, and he comes around, uh, makes his way down the aisle. He's shaking people's, you know, you know, taking their hands as he goes past and and uh, blessing them. And he gets up around to the front where there is a little Eucharistic chapel. And there's all this, there's still all this noise and commotion going on. But he comes into the chapel, and now there's a cameraman right in his face. You know that because you're watching from this camera's lens as it's right in front of him. You see him kneel down. And he's coming to pray before the Blessed Sacrament here in this church. And, you know, that's just got to be the most annoying thing, <laughs> to, be, to be coming into a church and desire to kneel down and pray before the Blessed Sacrament in the midst of all this cacophony, all this noise, all this wonderful commotion of joy and praise and, and rejoicing, and have a camera right there in front of you watching you Oh, I can't even imagine. So he kneels down, and what you're watching when you see this video, I encourage you to go look it up and watch it. He, he, he kneels down, and there's, there's a little bit of time where he's just, he seems agitated because of all this stuff going on. And he looks up, and he looks down, and he's, you know, fiddling with his hands, and he's kneeling there. And then suddenly it's like, boom. He's gone. He's so deeply immersed in prayer. He's so wrapped in the Lord. And I don't know how long it is, but it feels like forever that he's just kneeling there and you can feel it. That's what we all want our prayer to be like. We all want to come before the Lord, I think, if we, if we only know, truly, truly know what we want. We want to come before the Lord and just disappear into him. Not that we're engulfed by him, not that we're consumed by him, but we are united to him. And that's the perfection we seek. That's the perfection St. Anthony of the Desert sought when he left everything and went to follow Christ. 